Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've seen them. There are now, I guess you'd call them commercials for the CIA, where they um, brag about the diversity of their work staff and their openness to that diversity. My favorite version so far is uh, narrated by a, a gay male. I guess he's a librarian at the CIA. And he was worried about whether it would be an inclusive job when he took it. But um, when he was sworn in by former CIA director John Brennan, uh, our narrator noticed that Brennan was wearing a rainbow pin as he swore him in. And that made him feel great. This is the John Brennan who lied under oath to United States Senate, denying that uh, he had spied on their staff's computers, uh, Senate committee. So, you know, there's these firms around now that'll uh, clean up your reputation on the Internet. If somebody says something bad about you on Google, they'll wipe it out or make it look nice, draw a lipstick on it. But if you really want um, your reputation cleaned up nice, join the CIA. That's good advice from the good hands people here at Hello, Welcome to the Show.
from the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, the third. Things aren't sounding so good in Tokyo these days. A petition calling to cancel the Tokyo Olympics gathered support in Japan this week as the government prepared to extend the state of emergency in the city of Tokyo and beyond to control the spread of the coronavirus. A petition titled Cancel the Tokyo Olympics to Protect Our Lives had garnered more than 200,000 signatures by late afternoon. Spread of the virus has not been stopped at all in Tokyo, the rest of the country or the world, the petition reads. Are we going to hold the Tokyo Olympics even if it put lives and jobs, puts lives and jobs in danger? Question mark. Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga has been determined to press ahead with the Games. Billing the sporting extravaganza as an opportunity to declare victory over the virus. The virus apparently has other ideas. Several regions of Japan have had problems staging their legs of the Olympic torch relay. Participants, including many celebrities, have dropped out. The governor of the southwestern prefecture of Fukuoka this week became the latest local leader to say carrying out the relay would be extremely difficult, according to GG Press. Japan is struggling to vaccinate its people, less than 2% of the total population, according to Bloomberg putting it behind places like Myanmar, Bangladesh, and Rwanda. Man, you're behind Rwanda. You just... 11 weeks to go until the opening ceremony. The uh, state of emergency is now extended to the end of May and expanded to include two new areas struggling with a rise in cases. Meanwhile, you might want nurses for all of this. Some nurses in Japan are incensed at a request for Tokyo Olympic organizers who want 500 of the nurses dispatched to help out with the games. The nurses say they're already near the breaking point dealing with the pandemic. Like Olympic officials have said they will need 10,000 medical workers to staff the games and the request for more nurses comes amid this new spike in the virus. Beyond feeling anger, I was stunned at the insensitivity, said Mikito Ikeda, a nurse in Nagoya in central Japan, speaking to the Associated Press. It shows how human life is being taken lightly. The appeal for more nurses is typical of the impromptu changes coming almost daily as organizers in the International Olympic Committee try to pull off the games in the midst of a pandemic. The Secretary General of the Japan Federation of Medical Workers Unions, Susumu Morita, said the focus should be on the pandemic, not the Olympics. We must definitely stop the proposal to send as Olympic volunteers those nurses tasked with protecting the fight against the pandemic. Susumu Morita said, I am extremely infuriated by the insistence of pursuing the Olympics despite the risk to patients and nurses' health and lives. A protest message saying the nurses were opposed to holding the Olympics went viral on Japanese Twitter being retweeted hundreds of thousands of times. 
But come on, nurses. You're trying to stop a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Now, news of microplastics. Just one word. Mangroves and seagrasses grow in many places along the coasts of the world. These blue forests. God, wasn't that a uh, Emmylou Harris song? No, it wasn't. Constitute an important environment for a large number of animals. Juvenile fish can hide until they're big enough to take care of themselves. Crabs and mussels live on the bottom. Birds come to feed on the plants. Of course, this is according to the University of Southern Denmark. Who knew? But the plant-covered coastal zones do not only attract animals, they also attract microplastics. According to a new study, the denser the vegetation, the more plastic is captured, says Professor Marianne Holmer from the University of Southern Denmark. She's concerned about how the accumulated microplastics affect animal and plant life. We know from other studies, animals can ingest microplastics. This may affect their organism. They ingest microplastics with the food they seek in the blue forest. They may suffocate, die of starvation, or the small plastic particles can get stuck in different places in the body and do damage. Another problem with microplastics is that they may be covered with microorganisms, environmental toxins, or other health hazardous disease-promoting substances that are transferred to the animal or plant that absorbs the microplastics. When microplastics are concentrated in an ecosystem, the animals are exposed to very high concentrations, she explains. She points out that microplastics con concentrated in, for example, a seagrass bed are impossible to remove. Her study is based on examinations of three coastal areas in China. China! Concentrations were up to 17.6 times higher than from the control sites without vegetation. So these were samples taken in blue forests. Mangrove trees probably capture more microplastics as the capture of particles is greater in mangrove forests than in seagrass beds. Researchers also believe the microplastics bind in these ecosystems in the same way as carbon, so they're captured between leaves and roots, and the microplastics are buried in the seabed. Carbon capture binds carbon dioxide in the seabed, and the blue forests are very good at that, but it's worrying if the same thing happens to microplastics, says Dr. Homer. And, on a kind of related subject, new to the warm, won't you? Okay, what happens if we don't meet the standards of the Paris Accords? Under those accords, from 2015, I do believe, nations agree to cut greenhouse gas emissions on a scale that would stem global warming, stop it at 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial temperatures. 
The accord also includes proposals or pledges for wholesale adoption of renewable energy systems and other policy changes that could lead to net zero emissions and bring warming to just 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above. But current models show us that on the contrary, global warming is on a pace to exceed an increase of 5.4 degrees, far above even the basic threshold of the Paris Agreement. University of Massachusetts Amherst researchers aimed to test the impact of various global warming scenarios on ice loss in the Antarctic region and the subsequent rise in sea levels. The study was published this week in the journal Nature, first to test whether nations' successful or failed implementations of Paris targets would stem or accelerate the loss of land ice in the Antarctic. Three scenarios, warming at 2.7, 3.6, and 5.4 degrees, respectively. If nations meet the 2.7 or 3.6 targets, Antarctic ice loss would transfer between 2.4 and 4.3 inches of ice water into the oceans by 2100. But if the current pace holds and global climate reaches or exceeds 5.4 degree increase Fahrenheit, the Antarctic region would see a huge spike in ice loss. Without immediate large-scale policy changes, scientific interventions, including geoengineering, would be ineffective at stopping a nearly 7- to 8-inch deposit of Antarctic ice melt into the oceans by 2100. But, of course, as they used to say on Wall Street, IBG, YBG. I'll be gone, you'll be gone. Spurred by climate change, Glacial retreat is intensifying across much of the eastern Himalayas. It's known as Earth's third pole. Let's see. Valesa was the first... No. Uh, threatening vulnerable downstream communities with torrential floods. The Hindu Kush, Himalaya, Tibetan Plateau and surrounding areas contain more glaciers than anywhere else on Earth outside the North and South Poles which is where the nickname comes from. Rising temperatures across the region in recent years are melting these ancient glaciers at an alarming pace. And if you can alarm a glacier, ladies and gentlemen, you've... The, when that occurs too quickly, the result is a glacial lake outburst flood. These floods occur when a lake that formed below a melting glacier essentially bursts at the seams. Yes, you're asking who knew lakes had seams. They can devastate communities hundreds of miles downstream and across international boundaries, which further complicates prevention and relief efforts, especially in politically sensitive areas like the Pamir region between Tajikistan and Afghanistan. Yes, it's sensitive, because it's near Afghanistan. An international team of researchers from Switzerland and China investigated the threat posed by these rapidly retreating glaciers to see if they could find a pattern identifying the areas of greatest risk of flooding. new study appeared this week in the journal Nature Climate Change. The risk of glacial lakes to burst will triple across high mountain Asia in the future, said um, one of the researchers. This is because more lakes will form as glaciers melt and as these lakes will be closer to summits and steep slopes where unstable slopes occur more often. He explained that as ice and rock break free and fall into these lakes, they're likely to create tsunamis, causing them to rapidly empty and flood the regions downstream. 
the lesson, of course, move upstream. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, news of the godly. Western Australia's highest court, that's pretty high, has increased the record million-dollar payout awarded to an elderly man who was subjected to, quote, degrading and humiliating sexual abuse, end quote, by the Christian brothers. No, they weren't busy making wine at that time. They were lawyers um, saying the decision will have implications for other abuse survivors. Last year, 76-year-old John Thomas Lawrence was awarded a million U.S. dollars in damages by a court judge after testified at a trial about the years of physical and sexual abuse and other cruel conduct he endured while living at boys' homes in the 1950s. He was brought to Australia from England in 1952 when he was just eight years old, subjected to protracted abuse, including six rapes at the hands of Christian brother Lawrence Murphy, who is now dead. Those would be his dead hands. In Laster's decision, the judge singled out Murphy, saying... Mr. Lawrence had lived in perpetual fear and terror of being raped and sexually abused by him. He was also abused by two other brothers and a lay teacher who are also now dead. In what the judge described as degrading, humiliating, and insulting abuse that also included neglect, intimidation, and other cruel behavior. I regard it as miraculous, said the judge, that Mr. Lawrence, given the torment with which he has lived since he was first raped, causing him psychiatric and psychological injury, leading to alcoholism, drug abuse, self-harm, and suicide attempts, has survived at all. Well, kind of. He's been diagnosed with leukemia, leukemia and diabetes. He wasn't in court for the decision, but his lawyer said Mr. Lawrence was delighted with the ruling. He's pleased the Christian brothers have not been able to take a big chunk out of the court's verdict. He's even more pleased the court has increased his compensation. He's also happy the decision opens the door wider for other survivors of abuse in Western Australia. He's delighted his win will help them. His lawyer said Lawrence had absolutely no sympathy for the Grushin brothers because of the years of abuse they inflicted on him and the terrible consequences he has had to live with for decades. His compensation payout is believed to be the highest ever ordered by a court against the Christian brothers. Now they're going to have to make more wine. And this... um, this does sound like maybe one of the worst exploitation movies of Hollywood's golden past. Nuns on Trial. Two nuns and seven other female employees of an Argentine institute for deaf children went on trial this week in a sexual abuse case that is shocked. Shocked, I say. No, shocked. Agence France Press says the home country of... Why, it's the home country of the Pope. Francis the Talking Pope, two priests in charge of children at the center, the Institute for Deaf Children, were jailed for more than 40 years each in November 2019 for sexual abuse, including rape of some 20 minors. This is the second trial in the case for crimes committed between 2004 and 2016 at the Provolo Institute in Mendoza, 620 miles west of Buenos Aires, if you're driving. The victims were aged between 4 and 17 at the time. Most of them are older now. Several staff at the school were taken into custody after allegations of abuse first surfaced. Way back in 2016, the institute was shut down. First up on trial, Argentine priest Horacio Gorpacho. He got 45 years in the clink. Italian Nicola Corradi. He got 42 years behind bars. 
not not quite as bad an abuser. Three years less an abuser. The institution's gardener, Armando Gomez, was jailed for 18 years for sexual abuse, and a former altar boy, now in his 50s, so he would be an altar man, or an altar caca, depending, were given a sentence of 10 years after pleading guilty to the sexual abuse of five, uh, five children. The main accused in the dock this time is Japanese nun Kumiko Kosaka, 46, accused of aggravated sexual abuse and covering up the crimes. Another nun, Paraguayan Asuncion Martinez, 53, stands accused of corruption of minors, concealing the crimes alongside the center's legal representative, a psychologist, a cook, and four directors of the institute. Quote, without the nuns who are in charge of the children, the social worker, the directors, without all that structure, none of this would have been possible, said a sister of one of the victims. Father of another victim said they covered up everything, preventing the children from learning sign language so it would not come out. Amid the coronavirus outbreak, the trial opened without journalists in attendance, nor any of the defendants in court. They participated by video. One of the nuns is under pre-trial detention. That's the only detainee at the moment. Trial is expected to last about six months, with about 100 witnesses due to testify. Yes, it's deaf boys all over again. Boom, 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 boom. Wanna do deaf boys? Boom, boom. In the next room? Boom. Now they're in the closet boom, boom. Between me and the broom boom, boom. Half a dozen deaf boys boom, boom. Mm, Nice little crowd boom, boom. They can be quiet boom, boom. And I can be loud boom, boom. Four and twenty deaf boys boom, boom. Take me all day boom, boom. Barely got the time to boom, Eating to pray boom, boom. Deaf boys can't hear me coming Deaf boys don't you dare call it slumming Might be a chink in my priestly poise But how can I resist How can Death I resist boys? Half a hundred deaf boys Who got a head of steam I could be the coach. Boom, boom. They could be the team. Boom, boom. 88 deaf boys. Boom, boom. One for each key. Boom, boom. On the piano of my longing. Boom, boom. They play a hushed melody. Boom, boom. 150 deaf boys. Boom, boom. Oh, this could get tight. Boom, boom. A few dozen in the morning. And all the rest at night boom, boom. Deaf boys can't hear me coming Deaf boys got my heartstrings to strumming Make me make such a joyful noise Just can't get enough Just can't get Deaf enough boys. Now if I had a deaf boy For each day of the year Three hundred and sixty-five. Oh, that would be dear. 
How many deaf boys have there actually been? Why not ask how many dance on the head of a pin? The world is full of deaf boys, and I'm only one man. All that God expects is do all that you can. Deaf boys can't hear me coming. Deaf boys got me hymning and humming. A shepherd with a closet full of toys. Let's hear it for those deaf boys. Now. The apologies of the week, and are good. We're so sorry. And good for you. During the second leg of the UEFA Champions League semifinal, this is soccer, ladies and gentlemen, between Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain. This week, you missed it. CBS color commentator. Can we still say that? Jim Beglin attributed a red card given to uh, Paris Saint-Germain's Angel Di Maria. He attributed that red card to the Argentinian native's, quote, Latino temperament, unquote. Di Maria was sent off in the 69th minute for stomping on a player of Manchester City after the two tangled out of bounds. Best place to tangle. It's that Latino temperament, Beglin remarked as cameras showed Di Maria walking off the pitch. Broadcast was aired on the CBS Sports Network. That's why you didn't see it. Beglin offered his attempt at an apology, roughly 10 minutes of game action. Action? Later, saying, quote, when Di Maria was sent off, I described it by using a word Latino. For anybody that's taken offense, I do apologize. Sincerely apologize. Later, he issued a statement of apology via his Twitter, via his Twitter account. Quote, I apologize for my culturally insensitive remarks. I wrongly used a racial stereotype. This was inappropriate and unacceptable. I meant he was a south-of-the-border spitfire. No, he didn't say. That, by the way, was um, how a baseball player in Los Angeles was described on the air when, after a called third strike, he turned around and slapped the umpire in the face. That was a spitfire. Quote, Beglin continues, quote, words have a strong impact and I fully understand the severity of what I said. When he was sent off, I will learn from this and be better moving forward on another network. No, he's where he is. Dateline Chicago, Chicago's top prosecutor apologized this week because an attorney who works under her implied in court that 13-year-old Adam Toledo was holding a gun when a police officer fatally shot him. She acknowledged that neither she nor anyone in her office tried to clear up the matter until right before video was released showing that he didn't have a gun when the officer shot him. The Cook County State Attorney's Office came under fire after the April 15th release of that body camera video showing Toledo either dropped or tossed the gun less than a second before Officer Eric Stillman shot and killed him. The tragedy of the death of a 13-year-old boy has been clouded by the confusion and frustration my office has caused. And for this, I apologize, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox 
said in a statement announcing the findings of an internal review of her underlings' erroneous statement in court. So the overling takes responsibility. Dateline Manila, Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte has apologized for all the uh, non-judicial killings. He, no. He has asked the Chinese ambassador to withdraw Chinese, China's donation of a thousand doses of Sinopharm vaccines to the Philippines after he was criticized for taking a dose of the unregistered vaccine. I said, just forget about them, the president said during his address to the nation. You withdraw all Sinopharm vaccines, 1,000 of them. Do not send Sinopharm's vaccine in anymore so we can avoid trouble, unquote. The president also apologized to the public for choosing to be vaccinated with Sinopharm. He said medical experts had reached out to him about the danger of his taking a dose not yet approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Quote, we're sorry for the things you're criticizing us for. We accept responsibility. We're sorry you are right. We are wrong. Unquote. Duterte. But he added the vaccine has been used in other countries, such as Brazil. There's a good example. And his doctor advised him to take it. What was administered to me, it's a decision of my doctor, and all things said, this is my life, Duterte added. I'm seeing a Philippine TV series. I'm, I'm not watching it, but I'm seeing it. Dateline Denver, a Colorado state representative, is under fire after referring to a colleague in the House of Representatives... As Buckwheat, Representative Richard Holtorf, Republican who represents the northeastern part of Colorado, was speaking to the House about military rules of engagement and the law of proportionality when he apparently responded to another legislator saying, quote, I'm getting there. Don't worry, Buckwheat. I'm getting there. And then he later said, that's an endearing term, by the way. They then got into a back-and-forth with Representative Tom Sullivan. In February, Holtort told Sullivan, whose son was murdered, you have to let it go. It's unclear who Holtorf directed the buckwheat comment to. Representative Leslie Harrod later tweeted, this is what I have to deal with every damn day. I was completely disgusted at the use of a black stereotypical character racist trope was used in our General Assembly, said a psychology professor at the University of Denver. Holdorf, Holtorf later returned to the lectern and spoke again. I think we all need to consider what we do here and how we address and talk to each other. I think we all have to do better. I will start with me. I think we have to respect each other. We have to respect people's time here and listen and be good people and not try to have confrontations across the chamber. I apologize if... I've offended anybody in any way. It is not my intent, ladies and gentlemen. If anyone would like to talk to me afterwards, I'd be more than happy to visit with them. Unquote. He didn't have much to say about the comments later, but told a local TV station, quote, there is two sides to every story, unquote. Yeah, I want to talk to him about his verbs. They'd line Needham, Massachusetts. Needham. I barely knew him. Needham-based TripAdvisor this week faced criticism from the Museum and Memorial at Auschwitz in Poland. That's the one you've heard of. 
The museum announced on Twitter it had reported an inappropriate review of the museum on the TripAdvisor website. It said the company originally declined to remove the message. According to the company, it complies with their submission guidelines, the museum wrote. Among other things, the message in question included a claim that the author went to the site of the former concentration and extermination camp to, quote, test the chamber, unquote. More than a million people were murdered at Auschwitz during the Holocaust, many of them killed in gas chambers. Nearly an hour after the museum's initial message, it sent another saying the TripAdvisor had reversed course, removing the review. The museum thanked TripAdvisor for the decision. In a statement, TripAdvisor said our initial screening failed to identify this review as promoting intolerance. Through our escalation process, that's more common these days, this review was removed. We always aim to get it right the first time, and we apologize to the Auschwitz Museum and the Jewish community at large for this initial miss. Additionally, due to the nature of this review, we have banned this user from contributing further on our platform. Lest he visit Dachau. Italian state television broadcaster Rai will not ban blackface on its shows, but apologize for its use of the offensive theatrical makeup in the past, according to the AP. Instead, Rai is simply advising against the use of blackface. It responded to multiple requests last week to stop broadcasting shows in which actors put on blackface to do impressions of singer Beyonce and the Tunisian-Italian rapper Gali in skits. We said we were sorry and we made a formal commitment to inform all of our editors to ask that they don't use blackface anymore. That's according to Rai's director for social causes. He said the request to editors to stop using blackface was the extent of actions they could take to address the issue because of editorial freedom. Now, the apology spotlight turns to the San Francisco Bay Area, a community called Piedmont. School officials there have officially apologized after drawing criticism from students and staff for offering a support circle for white students in light of the Derek Chauvin murder verdict. An email from Cheryl Wozniak. Any relation? Uh, the assistant superintendent of educational services at Piedmont Unified School District was sent a couple of weeks ago to students and staff at Millennium and Piedmont High Schools in light of that verdict against Chauvin. Quote, we are offering a restorative community circle. An email from Wozniak reads, to support white students who would like to discuss how the trial verdict and experiences related to the George Floyd murder are impacting you. Unquote. Two counselors, she said, would be holding a space for our white students to process and share to one another. Student population across the school district is 74% white. Support circles were also held for black and indigenous people of color and African-American and black students, according to emails obtained by the San Francisco Chronicle. But the sessions were met with scrutiny by staff and students alike who expressed concern over the segregated nature of the sessions and the fact that white students were seemingly supported more than students of color. A student said Piedmont Schools Administration has historically failed to address issues of race and equity 
properly or at all. A day after the initial letter was sent, Wozniak issued an apology for the decision to hold a white student support circle, saying, quote, the impact on our students of color has left them feeling hurt and disrespected by district administration, unquote. The sessions were canceled. Randy Booker, Piedmont Unified's superintendent, did corroborate those statements in a school board meeting at the end of the month. My role is to call out systems of structural oppression, inequities that promote them led to where these exist in our district. We need to leave up, live up to our board policy on racial equity. It's still in infancy steps, unquote. The school board president said the phrasing, quote, resulted in an invitation coming across as an insult, unquote. I've had those. And I've gone. And a final apology this week. Peloton Interactive reiterated it had made a mistake, a boo-boo, an uh-oh, an oopsie, when it refused to recall its treadmills after a child died and dozens more were injured in accidents involving the exercise equipment, according to CBS. Quote, we made a mistake in our response. We should have been more open to a productive dialogue from the outside. And for that, I apologize, said John Foley, CEO and co-founder of the company. He was talking to Wall Street analysts who were looking at the sudden plummet in the price of Peloton stock. His words echoed a mayor couple made the day before. The company revealed separate recalls of both its Tread Plus and Tread treadmills. <laughs> you got that? Peloton estimated the recalls would cost it $165 million. That's nearly three times its profits for all of last year. Acknowledging the potential damage to the brand, the company plans to work to, quote, get back on the right side of the line with trust and safety, said Foley, the CEO, who vowed to work with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Peloton's recall came after more than 70 incidents, including the death of one child, and 29 other instances where users sustained injuries such as broken bones and cuts. Machines cost between $2,500 and $4,400 each. Customers typically pay an additional monthly fee for streaming exercise classes for users. The recalls came a month after the Product Safety Commission warned households with children and pets to immediately stop using Tread Plus treadmills. And two months after, Peloton cautioned people to keep children and pets away from the exercise equipment. The less expensive Tread, not the Tread Plus, but not the Tread Minus, should be coming back on the market sooner than the Plus, perhaps in July, according to Foley. Sold mostly in the U.K. and Canada, the tread was recalled due to incidents that had screws that attached its consoles to its treadmills, loosening, and in some cases, falling. That's all. I wonder what the meeting was like when they tried to decide whether to uh, recall the machines or not. You got it. You got it now. Lying is good. Keep it up. Keep it up. You got it. You got it. Go for it. You've got him convinced. You've got him fooled. Go for it. This is your day. Dude, nobody's going to not believe you now. You own this. Dig it a little deeper, dude. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of our friend the Adam and his friends. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap. 
We're all friends here. An alarm was triggered. So far, so good, right? After radioactive material apparently leaked from a rusted container storing contaminated waste from the early days of the Fuk disaster, is all. The incident, according to the Asahi Shimbun, my favorite Shimbun, showed the Tokyo Electric Power, operator of the crippled Fuk plant, faces yet another hurdle. It's just a hurdle. In work to decommission the power station, the company's long been grappling with the problem of what to do with more than a million tons of contaminated water stored at the plant. They're going to deal with that by dumping it in the ocean. But that's okay. It's just got tritium in it. It also has tens of thousands of containers of radioactive debris and waste at the site. A decision on the final disposal of their contents, you want to say it with me, has not been made. Now the containers are showing their age. In early March, on a day after rainfall, workers at the plant responded to the alarm about rising radiation levels in a ditch. They identified high-level radioactive materials in the water in the ditch. On the ground nearby, they found a gel-like chunk of sticky and blackish material. (laughs) 35 inches in length, 12 inches in width. The chunk was emitting radiation. It was a hot chunk. The workers concluded rainwater likely became contaminated after coming in contact with the chunk. When the water flowed into the ditch, it set off the alarm. At the time, workers were moving 270 steel containers to a different location at the plant. One of the containers had likely become rusty and had a hole in the bottom. That container held about 450 bags of water-absorbing sheets, hoses, and cloths that were used to deal with radioactive water and other problems during the turbulent period after the meltdown. Workers had stuffed the waste in the container, apparently left it as is. TEPCO said debris from the aftermath of the accident, as well as used protective gear with high doses of radiation, have been stored indoors at the plant. Items with low doses have been wrapped in sheets or placed in containers and kept outside. There are currently 85,000 such containers at the site. TEPCO says it has no detailed records of the contents for these containers, except that they're labeled type of debris incombustibles, unquote. It is confirmed these containers do not contain high doses of radiation, says TEPCO, which should know. Utility says it's check, it checks the condition of the containers and measures the radiation levels once a week. But the company didn't detect the corrosion of the container in question until the alarm went off. It now says it will thoroughly check the condition of the containers as well as the contents in the following half a year. Take, take, take all the time you need, guys. We will make a judgment based on the degree of rust and consider maintenance and repair as well as refilling when the rust is significant. What more do you want them to do? The company also said it will move all outdoor containers to a new dedicated facility by fiscal 2028. The uh, company plans to decrease the amount of the debris in the containers by burning, shredding, and reuse. But as for a final disposal method, say it with me now, it is not yet decided. Work to decommission the plant will produce about one million cubic yards of contaminated waste. Would you like some? 
I think they'd uh, entertain your offer. They might entertain you and your guests. 35 years after the Chernobyl thing, fission reactions are smoldering again in uranium fuel masses buried deep inside a mangled reactor hall. According to Science Magazine, quote, it's like the embers in a barbecue pit, says a nuclear materials chemist in uh, Great Britain. Now Ukrainian scientists, University of Sheffield, as a matter of fact, now Ukrainian scientists are scrambling to determine whether the reactions will burn out on their own or require extraordinary interventions to avoid another accident. Sensors are tracking a rising number of neutrons, a signal of fission, streaming from one inaccessible room. According to uh, an official at the Institute for Safety Problems of Nuclear Power Plants in Kiev, Ukraine. There are many uncertainties, but we can't rule out the possibility of an accident, he says. The neutron counts are rising slowly, suggesting managers still have a few years to figure out how to stifle the threat. Any remedy he and his colleagues come up with will be of keen interest to Japan, which is coping with its own nuclear disaster after aftermath. It's, says the official, a similar magnitude of hazard, unquote. The specter of self-sustaining fission or criticality in the nuclear ruins has long haunted Chernobyl. The uh, reactor's core melted down, at least part of it, Unit 4, and uranium fuel rods, their zirconium cladding, graphite control rods, and sand dumped on the core to try to extinguish the fire, all melted together into a lava. You like lava, don't you? It flowed into the reactor hull's basement rooms and hardened into formations called fuel-containing materials. Your FCMs, which are laden with about 170 tons of irradiated uranium, 95% of the original fuel. Why, they could start it all up again. The concrete and steel sarcophagus, called the shelter erected a year after the accident to house the remains of Unit 4, allowed rainwater to seep in. Because wouldn't you, wouldn't you build it? Water slows or moderates neutrons and thus enhances their odds of striking and splitting uranium nuclei. Heavy rains would sometimes send neutron counts soaring. Chernobyl officials presumed any criticality risk would fade when a massive new safe containment, your NSC, was slid over the shelter five years ago. The uh, 1.5 billion euro structure was meant to seal off the shelter so it could be stabilized and eventually dismantled. The uh, new safe containment also keeps out the rain. Just put a couple of umbrellas up there. What's your... And ever since its emplacement, neutron counts in most areas in the shelter have been stable or are declining. That's the good news. But they began to edge up in a few spots, nearly doubling over four years in room 3052, which contains tons of fissionable materials buried under debris. Modeling suggests the drying of the fuel is somehow making neutrons ricocheting through it more rather than less effective at splitting uranium nuclei. The threat can't be ignored as water continues to recede. The fear is that the fission reaction accelerates exponentially, leading to an uncontrolled release of nuclear energy. 
A runaway fission reaction in an FCM could sputter out from heat after fission boils off the remaining water, but any explosive reaction would be contained. It could, however, bring down unstable parts of the rickety shelter, filling the new safe containment with radioactive dust. Addressing the threat as a daunting challenge, radiation levels in that room preclude getting close enough to install sensors, spraying gadolinium nitrate on the nuclear debris. There, I know you've thought of that. No, not an option. It's entombed under concrete. Can't, can't do this, can't spray. The... One idea is to develop a robot that can withstand the intense radiation for long enough to drill holes in the FCMs and insert boron cylinders. They would function like control rods, sopping up neutrons, stopping any chain reaction. Or they could just get Elon Musk to go in there. The uh, fission reactions are not the only challenge facing Chernobyl's keepers. Besieged by intense radiation and high humidity, the uh, FCMs are disintegrating, spawning even more radioactive dust that complicates plans to dismantle the shelter. Ukraine has long intended to remove the FCMs, these are fissionable materials, and store them in a geological repository. Well, what a good idea that is. By September, it aims to have a comprehensive plan for doing so. We don't know yet if they've decided where that depository will be. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? it sounds almost repetitive, redundant. People living near nuclear plants in France are not sufficiently aware of what to do in the event of a nuclear accident. Fortunately, of course, there aren't. This is according to an organization that collects information on the nuclear industry. Report from RFI in France. The ANCZLI, more initials, please. It aims to inform ordinary citizens about the nuclear industry, wants better simulation exercises and more efficient distribution of iodine tablets so that those living and working near nuclear sites are better equipped to deal with any such accident, which, of course, is never good. In the country that's the most nuclearized in the world in relation to the number of inhabitants, methods of public protection are unsuitable and insufficient, says the ANCCLI in a report released this week. France has 19 nuclear power stations. Ah, the French. The ANCCLI also expressed concern local people are not availing themselves of supplies of iodine tablets. In an iodine distribution drive in 2019, only 550,000 of the targeted 2.2 million people actually collected their reserve doses from pharmacies. It's iodine hesitancy, ladies and gentlemen. It's everywhere. It's hesitancy. The organization says local authorities should take control of the distribution of iodine instead of pharmacies, which were chosen, it says, after lobbying by pharmaceutical companies. That never happens. The ANCCLI also wants local people to take part in crisis simulation programs, which it says currently involve only local authorities and first response professionals. Such simulations, it says, would considerably reduce the consequences of a major nuclear accident. It might also scare the petunias out of the local population. Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to too scary to meter. Our friend the Adam.
open door was on a ballroom floor, said all the gentlemen, obviously. The madam has the cutest personality. And think of all the books about Dubarry's looks. What was it made of the toast of Paris? She had a well-developed personality. What did Romeo see in Juliet or Pierrot in Pierrot or Jupiter in Juno? You know. And when Salome danced and had the boys in trance, no doubt it must have been easy to see that she knew how to use her personality. Well, and never sit on a boss's settee Unless she's got a perfect personality A girl can get somewhere in spite of stringy hair Or even just a bit bored at the knees If she can show a faultless personality Why a certain girl's offered certain things Like sable coats and wedding rings By men who wear their spats right That's right So don't you say I'm smart And have the kindest heart Oh, what a wonderful sister I'd be Just tell me how you like my Personality Baby, you've got the cutest personality. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. It's going to recur next week. Same time on the radio. Other times, when you want it, on your audio device of choice. Choice, I say. And it'd be just like saying choice, if you'd agree to be with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk and to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music you hear here all sitting right there waiting for you at harryshearer.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer.
This show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.